This is Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast where a wife and her husband get each other the worst books they can find. For this episode of Bibliovile, Mick read Me, Myself, and Why, a modern threesome by Mary Janice Davidson. And I read On Strike for Christmas by Sheila Roberts. Welcome to Bibliovile, the terrible book exchange podcast. My name is Mick Dickinson. And I'm Susan Dickinson. And just to establish something that happened right before we started recording, Susan thought that she could sing the first seven notes of a scale uh, right before I pressed record and not have to pay for it. So I sung the seventh and a half. I think that was a little flat. Yeah, I don't think that was quite the eighth, but it's okay. We got there. We got there. And speaking of getting there, you know where we're almost to. The big game. The big game. I can't wait to get together with acquaintances and watch the big game. Unfortunately, uh, due to trademarks and copyrights and restricted use uh, stuff, we can't actually talk about the big game. Wink, wink. And we all know the real name of the big game. Uh, So... What I really want to know, Sue, what are you excited for in the big game? Hmm. I'm excited for chips and cheese dip. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm excited for some little sausage hot dogs. Yeah. Um, what about those uh, advertisements between the game? Yeah, but I'm interested. For commerce. I'm, I'm interested in those uh, short movies that teach us about products. Mm-hmm. Um, like trucks. I'm also and other trucks and alcohol. Oh, it's yeah, watered down alcohol is gonna be is gonna have probably have the best. Uh, uh, oh yeah, short because movie. the the water the watered down alcohol has the short movies about the the four legged animals. Oh the yeah, whole things. Well, that's not the watered down alcohol. That's just the alcohol. Oh. The watered down alcohol has the uh, dark ages short movies oh, about some sort right. of royal man. Ah, the right. royal man. The, the royal man. But anyway, when it comes to the big game itself, what are you what are you excited to see from the uh, uh, Pennsylvania team and the the regional? Team? I'm excited to see them go into their locker rooms for the middle part where the music plays. Yes, that would be very good to see the music playing. Mm-hmm. Uh, who's playing the music this time around? Um, I believe it's the, the fifth former... member from the boy band. Yeah, that boy band. Mm-hmm. The other one. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, the famous one. When when the handsome throw man, when the handsome throw boy uh, makes his way onto the field, I bet a lot of people are going to go crazy. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes. And then the women in the skirts with the pom-poms. Yeah, the handsome throw boy uh, is looking to retire this year. Do you think if he, if he gets that championship jewelry that he'll uh, hang up his shoes? Um, I don't know, because doesn't he already have some of the fancy big game jewelry? Yeah, he has. I believe he has enough big game uh, championship jewelry to put on every one of his phalanges. Well, then I think he it's probably time for him to go. To hang those up. Yeah, to hang those up. Okay, I'm sorry. I was drinking some non-watered down alcohol mm-hmm. when she stopped talking. Uh, Super Bowl. <laughs> Come and get me. Roger, bad. Queso, halftime show, Justin Timberlake. Who's the handsome throwback? Tom Brady. Yeah. <laughs> Who's the Pennsylvania team? The Pennsylvania team is the Steelers. That is one of the Pennsylvania teams, but not the one in the Super Bowl. 
<laughs> I don't know who's in the Super Bowl. The Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles from and Rocky then, Town. And the Patriots. Yeah, the from, Patriots. From where? From New England. Where do they play? New England. I suppose. But what city do they play in? New Jersey. That's not a city. And also, no. <laughs> I don't know. Boston. Boston. New Jersey's not quite in New England. New Jersey is in the mid-Atlantic. I didn't know, so I just picked one. Nice. It also had new in it. Yeah. Nice. Um, We are here not to talk about the big game, uh, but to talk about uh, word compilations uh, known as books. I was unfortunately gifted with Me, Myself, and Why, A Modern Threesome by Mary Janice Davidson, which is almost my mom's name, Janice Davidson. Uh, Susan, what were you thinking when you picked me out this crocker of a book? Well, on the spine of the book is the title, and then there's also a shot of the lower half of three women with their legs up in the air and high heels on. And then I pulled it out because I wanted to look at that. And then I saw the subtitle, A Modern Threesome. And then I read the in the the jacket, inside jacket cover. And there are some words that I think think typically make for a pretty good bibliophile book like um it's her special talent that makes cadence so valuable to the fbi we're Mm. talking about a three for killer a serial killer who likes to (sighs) kill in threes and leave behind inexplicable newspaper clippings and then that's not true by the way he doesn't do that she falls in love and then a baker who wants to get her in her heart and in her bed, a pesky psychiatrist, her sociopath partner, and a serial killer who's not fixated on her. It sounded insane. That's why I got it for you. The the very last piece of that, the serial killer is fixated on her. We don't get into like the last 20 pages. Weird. Also, the person she's falling in love with, is that how it's put? Yeah. Is awful and is also the same person as the baker. Oh, weird. Yeah. And so it's, it's like just straight up lies um this art style i want to talk about i do not know the name of this art style but i can't help it's like laugh in style art style um do you know what laugh in is uh, it's like a 60s comedy show but it's like 60s like flowery remember fibbage off of the jackbox party games yeah it's like that kind of art style and i wish i knew what it was called so i could reference it other than by referencing other products but it, it is bad, and it also does not fit the book at all. It is called A Modern Threesome, or it has the subtitle of A Modern Threesome because our main character has multiple personality disorder. Now, you oh. may recognize multiple personality disorder as a thing that doesn't actually exist anymore. Yeah. It has been phased out of the DSMV, right? or as the, uh, the author calls it in her author's note... The DSMMDIV. So this is a little older. She was on the fourth, but instead of the DSMV, so the mm-hmm. Diagnostic and Statistical Manual Five, she gives it its full title: Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders Four. Well, uh, but, but, but she does say has reclassified multiple personality as dissociative identity disorder. I use the former wording for its familiarity to most readers. A few things in this book remain true, however, she continues. Grown women do occasionally lick mirrors to turn on their partners. Lick mirrors. Like the shiny thing that you see themselves in. Partners who work together can begin to resemble each other. That's a throwaway line. That is not even a plot point. Partners who uh, rushed federal agents park government-issued sedans on public sidewalks. So does Seb Gorka. Two people are going to get that. 
baking is lucrative. All right. And it's possible to wake up on Monday morning with no memory of Sunday night. Okay. So say, don't say I didn't warn you. This book sucks in about 80 different ways. Okay. The first is the plot in which uh, the FBI has a special wing of the FBI just <laughs> hilariously called BAFO. Bravo. It is the Bureau of False Flag Operations. Now, hmm. from that, you might be thinking they're committing crimes and then blaming, you know, Muslims for it, uh, since it's the FBI. Mm -hmm. um, but they're not. They're not committing any sort of false flag. It's just a funny name because it is an entire, uh, like, CSI unit entirely made up of mentally ill people. So every single person there is mentally ill in a slightly different way. And it is handled with the, the care enjoy that mental illness really requires just kidding uh it portrays everyone as like daffy duck insane oh um the reason that the fbi would go to far lengths to have for example uh detectives with multiple personality disorders in which one of their multiple personalities is a legitimately insane murderer uh is because people who are insane can really get to the bottom of insane people committing hmm. crimes best uh it's exactly why sick people make the best doctors yeah. And why people with food poisoning are the best chefs, because then they know what not to serve. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, our main characters are Cadence, the, the supposedly main personality. Uh, Shiro, a small Asian lesbian who is her, like, protector personality who's really good at fighting. And then there's Adrienne, who is the character that only talks in, like, line break. She narrates the entire thing in, like, line break poems. And apparently every, is, sings the wheels on the bus all the time because it's delightfully goofy as she's uh, assaulting and murdering I people. I just really don't think that's how anything multiple personality disorder works. Yeah, they're aware of each other and um, it presents this uh, opportunity for an arc in which their psychiatrist that they're required to see as part of working at this Bafo place is like, we need to work on bringing you three into one person again like this is not we need to reintegrate or whatever it is and cadence isn't having it because she doesn't want to be not herself and shiro won't do it because then she'll stop existing mm. and adrian is too crazy to talk to and then the book uh, proceeds to do absolutely nothing with it so the idea of like each personality has a survival instinct and does mm. not want to meld back together the best thing for the body because then that means they disappear would be a pretty good metaphorical take on self-preservation in the face of community improvement. Yeah. Right? And self-interest. But it's not. And, it, and nothing changes and nothing happens. There's no growth or anything. So why intro like that just seems like you're introducing it for pure fluff. I do not know. Uh, I could not tell if this was a sequel or not to anything because some people are treated like, oh, yes, of course. And mm -hmm. other people are introduced. Like, I love it when that happens. Um, with all seriousness. So the plot, I want to get to the plot before I get to the writing because the writing was my least favorite part and the plot was my second least favorite part. <laughs> Um, the plot is that she is the, the detective for the FBI, or they, I suppose, as this book would mm -hmm. have me call them, instead of, you know, like, normal people and people who respect each other would say she. Yeah. Um, they are detectives for the FBI, and they help each other with the case, because they all have each other's memories, except for Cadence, because that was convenient to the plot, um, to have her not be able to remember what everyone else is doing, but all the other personalities can remember what she's doing. Of course. Because then hijinks ensue. Yeah. 
So the plot is that there is a serial killer on the loose. He is killed in Pierre, South Dakota, Des Moines, Iowa, which, according to this book, smells like pig crap. I'm like, you guys know that Des Moines is a pretty sizable city. Yeah. But I, it's whatever, because not everyone knows Iowa. It's fine. But it takes place in Minneapolis, where the three fur killer has struck again. He always kills three. They, he, they as a gender neutral pronoun. Mm-hmm. Right? Always kill three victims, and every single set of victims has had a Shakespeare sonnet, not a newspaper clipping, a Shakespeare sonnet attached to them. And I don't know enough about Shakespeare to link them in my mind, but neither does the detective, so we don't learn. Cadence has a partner, George, who is a sociopath, and by sociopath, she does not mean, like, charming politician or CEO, but, like, literal probable murderer who beats up people for no reason Mm -hmm. and wears uh, uh, offensive ties just to get a reaction. And that's a very fun person to have in your yeah, book. Yeah, sounds uh, great. Around you. Um, and they they continue to uh, meet the serial killer. He begins to kill more often in many, or they begin to kill more often in Minneapolis, uh, the place where this book takes place. They are escalating as serial killers pretty actually legitimately often do, like getting worse and worse and sloppier and sloppier because they want to be caught or they want to show off or something. At the same time, Cadence's friend from the mental hospital, Janice is not her name, but I don't think I ever wrote it down, nor did I remember it, uh, has a brother, Patrick, who has come to town. Okay. So Patrick is this very handsome baker. He's the baker they mentioned on the cover. Oh, the baker. And he's a very handsome baker, and he, uh, confusingly, they fall in love. It doesn't make a lot of sense. I'll get to it. Uh, This is their first conversation, I have to say, their first conversation here. Um, Hello, hello, hello. Huh? Who is this? I was on the phone talking to somebody. Oh, and here came Tina. So Cadence is hopping in here. I groped in my top drawer. Groped in it. I felt up its boobs. Found the index card with my chicken salad. Blah, blah, blah. We've been going on like this for a long time, somebody was saying in my ear as I waved to Tina. I can't tell if I'm intrigued or bored. I was intrigued and bored, I said, because apparently Shiro had popped out. But I've got to go now. I've got the rest of the day. Oh, right. Why I called. I can't wait to hear this. Is Kathy there? So this is Cadence. If you know who I am, then you must be Big Brother Patrick. Guilty, but it's just Patrick to you. It's funny how we've never met before. It is, he said, and asked, yawned in my ear. I can think a lot of things about this situation. What situation? But funny isn't what... Oh my god. Shut up. Yeah. What it... Like... Nothing is being accomplished right now. It's not funny at all. And you're not getting to know each other. Listen, I said, striving for patience. When you see Kathy, tell her I've got the rest of the day off, so I'll be over early. I'm actually out the door five minutes ago. Five minutes ago? I've been having a weird conversation with someone who may or may not be Cadence Jones, which is why I didn't leave five minutes ago. What? What? So that's how they meet. Very confusingly? Very confusingly. And then they they go out on a double date because they're trying to track down a killer and they think he might be in this restaurant or something like that. Uh, and it is just... Oh, he's very gorgeous, by the way. Of course he is. He's Uh, gotta be. Well, this is how they describe him as being very gorgeous when she does meet him. Oh, let me guess. It's supremely vague. Not really. It's actually specifically, but specifically ungorgeous. Oh my, I knew something else about him, too. He was gorgeous. His hair was such a dark red that it was almost black. You could see the reddish glints if he was standing beside a light source. His eyes, like Kathy's, were a rich chocolatey brown. They didn't spell it right. And he towered over her. I put him at about six foot three. He was dressed in khaki knee-length shorts and a button-down white Oxford shirt. His big, hairy feet 
were jammed into a pair of leather sandals. Ooh, yum, 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 yum. Ooh, is it hairy? Hairy feet, feet and sandals. Nothing I like more. Khaki shorts. Khaki shorts and leather sandals. You know what? I wear shorts sometimes, but I do not wear it and think I am gorgeous. He also is an asshole. Uh, let's see, page 246. This book was pretty short and I skimmed through most of it and it was shitty to skim through too because there's like 80 chapters. Because Oh, no, that I thought I was exaggerating. I am not because I just passed chapter 80. Uh, because every single time we switch personalities, we also change uh, chapters. Mm-hmm. And sometimes they're less than four sentences long. Bleh. So they're at a restaurant and he immediately starts being an asshole. I don't know, Patrick, but uh, the, the maitre d' said something uh i gave that major d 50 bucks and he fucked me yeah well he's, oh my yeah well yeah well he's the only one who's going to they're on a double date and they're talking like this finally i'd got his attention unfortunately i was met with a sneer be serious you were never going to anyway i'd have to get one of your sisters the reason he wants to date here is because one woman is not enough for him so he wants all three that's gross and terrible waiter i call that desperately Chicklets and Toblerone. I'll talk about that later. I realized Patrick didn't know that Lynn and Jim didn't know my secret. How was I going to get him to shut up? Jim and Lim, could you please go see if you can hunt down that super waiter? I think I saw him at that table in the far corner. Thank you very much. That's an awesome thing you're doing there. Thanks. No commas. Once they had gone, I grabbed his chin and looked deep into his eyes for mercy. Okay, they don't know. You can't tell them. He was momentarily confused but caught on after a few seconds. Why was, like... All right. What's in it for me? Why is he such a jerk? I won't think you're a dirty skunk. Too late. You already think that. I want action. Gross. I'm not going to give myself up. Nothing that serious, he considered. Go down on me tonight. So he's blackmailing her by threatening to expose her, like, yeah, her mental health concerns. I almost slapped him, but then remember my promise to myself. I don't remember what that was. What, here? No, back at your apartment. I shook my head. I'll give you a really good kiss. You've already given me, without knocking you unconscious afterwards, at one point they smooch and then she punches his lights out and goes in and is like, that felt so good. And he's in, I don't know. Without knocking you unconscious afterwards. This is what he says in return. Hand job. Ew. This wasn't happening to me. I'll let you put your hand up my blouse. He squinted. I sighed. And then I'll let you see me naked. Apparently I had been wrong. It was definitely happening to me. For a full minute. Ten seconds. Thirty. Twenty. And I'll lick a mirror. This is the love interest of this book? So what can you only assume? There's murders happening more and more often in Minneapolis. This brother just moved to Minneapolis. He's the worst person ever. Yeah, so he's the murderer. No, he's not. What? The murderer is two witnesses that are introduced halfway through the book casually and somebody that worked at the the law enforcement place with cadence is one named lowry berry no there one has a stutter and uh the other has asperger's because so they, only people with mental illnesses uh commit murder that's a really good stereotype to be perpetuating uh-huh. um do these two wind up together uh she's excited about their future at the end of the book he's moving he's to minneapolis because she didn't give it up to him so he really wants to bang her so he's gonna buy a house Gross. He also cooked her six cupcakes, each with a different frosting. She takes it as a very the height of romanticism and eats four of them. Four of them. I imagine like that there's buttercream too. So I'm imagining like four uh scratch cupcakes. Ugh. I can't eat one. So this Please this don't ever me, make me cupcakes. Yeah, this brings me to my next uh 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 
point and that the writing sucks in 80 different ways not only because of the stigmatism and stereotype and cliche of mental illness being a terrible or like it's bad it, it, it is not good to be mentally mm-hmm. ill but it does not make you a criminal or no it ins- doesn't make like you crazy. a bad person yeah the the guy the one guy we meet that isn't mentally ill might be the worst person in the book and i'm including the the uh the boyfriend that should have been the murderer yeah is the worst person in the book um, if you, Sue, if you could remove one style of writing, what would it be? Um, I don't really know how to describe it, but do you remember that, like, Queen of Babel book that you read that's, like, lots of, like, really short, choppy sentences, very, like, train of thought, and includes a ton of, like, pop culture references that immediately mm. become outdated? That is pretty bad. Yours would be first person present. No, mine is as if they are telling the story to you. Because the first ripcord I pulled, or at chapter 17, uh, was pretty bad. Oh, that was the phone call. That was the first ripcord I pulled. Um, She does a lot of like, oh, I forgot to tell you, and didn't I... Didn't I let you know? And uh, oh, just in case yeah. you didn't know and stuff like that. I peeked at my watch and groaned. Three hours. Ugh. I badly wanted more sleep. Or at least a long hat bath. Unfortunately, it was the second Tuesday of the month. Oh. M dash. Right. I forgot. I forgot you didn't know. Oh, You're not no. telling me a story. You are a character. Yeah. I'm not there. And at one point, she refers to you, like, the reader as her psychiatrist, but she also has a therapist already. So it's like, am I a character in this book, too? Or what's going on? Or is this? Yeah. So imagine my surprise when I walked into the restaurant to find Patrick and only Patrick at our table. Yes, I will imagine your surprise, person who is telling me this. And there's, like, ugh and oops and oh, yeah. Yeah, I hate that. Uh, It is my least favorite one. The writing is just, it's always inconsistent. Mm Mm-hmm. It never sticks to, I'm telling you a story. Well, it just, of course not, because she's multiple personality disorder. Well, that's the thing, is it could have been fun to see, like, bubbly narration and yeah. then serious narration, but instead it's... Yeah, but you still have to have even, consistency. With even like, inside the cadence chapters, it's inconsistent. For example, one person has a grip like rubber cement. Okay? <laughs> okay. Would a person like that has a grip with rubber cement... It smells really bad and yeah, you can get high from it. Possibly. But would you imagine that a person with a grip with rubber that is like rubber cement, would that be a tight grip or a loose grip? A tight grip? Why? Rubber cement is not tight. It is by its very nature rubbery. Okay. And so, rubbery is loose. Okay. So a loose grip. Yeah, but no, it's tight. It doesn't make any sense to me. That's a vice. Yeah. And rubber cement, it's like... Oh, he had a loose grip, but he wouldn't let go. But then she, like, gets out of it with her, like, knuckles aching. That's weird. That's bad. It's bad writing. Uh, she is one of those freaking awful cliches that, like, I don't swear. I never swear. And I love sweets. And I'm clumsy. And oh, yeah. So, she so never she's every swears. romantic comedy heroine ever. Yes. And her, her, her replacement swears are really stupid. Uh... She's also a minorly OCD in addition to being bipolar and mental. Oh, no, 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 no. I'm sorry. She's not. The character says, have I mentioned that in addition to being bipolar, she's OCD? No, you haven't. Go back and edit that into the book that you're revising. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, obsessive compulsive disorder is handled really factually and accurately. Uh, She likes neat piles. Yeah. 
I don't know what she's ever referring to because at one point this guy just like jumps out of his car and starts running and we don't know until the next chapter. Uh, Thanks for the analysis, Freud. And what had gotten into the poster pinup for amorality? He sounded almost, what was the word? Dot, 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 uh, dot, 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 interested. You knew the word. Just put it. One more example. No, concerned. So you were wrong in your narration. George sounded concerned about me. Good gosh. The entire planet was imploding around me. Now, if you don't mind, why don't we... Gah! I'd God because George had slammed on the brakes and for the second time in 20 seconds, I'd nearly been strangled. There was a thud as we went up on the curb, a click as he disengaged his seatbelt, and then the door was open and he was running away. I struggled free of my own seatbelt, grabbed his keys, and climbed out. At least he hadn't run over anyone this time, thank goodness, but that trash can was never going to be the same again. It was wedged under the left front wheel. George, what the heck? I glanced around the witnesses on the street, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I promise I am not giving you any details that you need to understand. Uh, wow, a boy in a Timberwolves jersey which fell to his blue jean knees was pointing at me. No, past me. Look at that guy. I looked, then I scrambled across the hood of our steaming, hissing government-issued vehicle and ran after George as fast as I could. What is happening? He has gone out of the car and he's running away. Don't touch them, George, I shrieked, knowing I was going to be too late, knowing I wouldn't be able to stop my partner, and also that I was going to have to have a terrible sore throat in, in the morning. The restraining order is still in effect. You are well within 50 yards and were illegally parked. One had gotten past George is the very next thing it says about George. One had gotten past George. One what? One what? One who? What is going on? Why? Also, why is there a chapter break in the middle of this? I don't know. <laughs> why? So, obviously, it should have been Patrick, the boyfriend that should have been the killer. And then I would have called this book like, okay, it's predictable, but yeah, that's the, the plot you were building up. Yeah. Instead, it's two witnesses that don't matter at all to anything. And it's it's very, very bad. Her swears are very terrible. Uh, darn it all to hippie skip. Oh, no. Holy buckets on a popsicle stick. Do you remember that book that I had about the, the color, the person who worked for Bobby Sue Cosmetics and then she turned into a werewolf? Yeah. She also had some really dumb curses and it was infuriating to me. Yeah. It's... I anytime you're like this person doesn't swear I'm like oh so I'm gonna hate them uh where are we okay so she's beginning to put the clues together she thinks it's George because somebody almost got all the way strangled with a necktie but they survive it actually turns out to be the guy who did its brother and the guy who did it like faking out so that they hunt down George instead he ends up hiding in the closet at the police station and they don't find him because hmm. it's stupid but how do details not add up this bad? By the time the appointments with our two witnesses came up, I was humming a tune. Something classical. Perhaps I had heard it in an elevator. I wasn't even sure at first. Hey, I know that one. Tina was walking by with a copy of EW. That's what people say when you hear them humming a tune. Yeah. Hey, I know what song that is. Yeah, Nesun Dorma. Come again, Caden says, not understanding what she's talking about. Nesun Dorma from Panucci's Torando. Famous stuff. I didn't know you were an opera buff. So just being able to pick an opera song out yeah. and name not only the song, but also the opera it's from. Possibly that happens, you know. People are into weird stuff. I've never been to the opera. She shrugged. I guess you wouldn't have to. You just need one of the... Th- Listen to this. This is how people talk. You just need one of the best-selling classical recordings of all time. The three tenors in concert. Remember them? Pavarotti, Domingo, and... Yeah, yeah, the other one. This is narration. Huh. 
That is one of my favorite albums. What? What? It's one of your favorite albums, and you can't remember one of the most favorite famous songs to come from that album? That is, I did not skip anything. How can also, you be that inconsistent within three line breaks? Also, why are we talking about this? Like, why is it relevant? Well, it turns out that the Three Tenors in Concert was her favorite, and so that's why the Three Tenors in Concert poster was stapled to one of their faces. But it actually turns out that it, it was the the three killers that did it anyway, uh, trying to talk to her because they want their three and she's three, and they want to be together. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't at all. make any sense at all. Yeah, so she had, there's no internal logic at all to any of it, like even within the very, very micro. This is how the book ends. And this is why my notebook had what? And then taking up the last half of the page was in the fuck just happened. They have the three, like, in headquarters. Because she goes to interview them, and that's when the pieces click together, and she gets it for no reason. Mm-hmm. She takes them back to headquarters on the chance that, like, oh, we're going to interview you one more time. And they don't kill her because they want to be with her, so they go on the ride. But one of them texts the brother that works at Bafo, and he manages to put the martial arts trained sociopath into handcuffs, as well as the nice agoraphobic secretary into handcuffs. And now they're in handcuffs on the floor, and they're like, hey, we're crazy, you're crazy, let's be together. She's like, no. And then Shiro takes over and begins beating up the, the one guy while the other two leave. Or no, I'm sorry, Adrian takes over, and then I don't know what happens, because one, the narration is terrible, and two, I always skip those parts. <laughs> so by the time a, a competent narrator comes back, the two, the brother and sister are gone, and the only guy left is the Bafo janitor, who's a savant, uh, but is written as if he is mentally challenged instead of just autistic. Great. Um, is still there, and then she talks him down instead of being beating him up. They have him, like, there crying on the floor because he hurt people by putting them in the handcuffs. He wasn't even one of the murderers. And then the chief of Bafo, who... Uh, chops up vegetables while she's mad at people because there's like a there's a penis thing there um comes in and yells at him about like you've heard all these people and i'm really mad and my secretary won't talk to me she's hiding under the desk because she's so scared and then she stabs him to death the head of a federal law enforcement branch stabs a cat an unarmed captive to death and it goes pretty much unremarked upon <laughs> she stabs him first in the groin and then slits his throat in cold blood Oh my god. And then it's just like, okay, well, another mystery solved. But what about the other two? Well, then she's like, I'll catch the other two. And then it switches to Shiro, like, I'm going to catch the other two. And then it ends on uh, Adrienne with, okay, you want to hear how Adrienne talks? I don't know if I do. First comes the opus, and then comes the first comes the Tracy, and then comes the stutter, and then comes the stuttering screams. All the stuttering screams. He missed his opus. Then come the screams, and the wheel on the bus go round and round, round and round. Patrick's so brave. I just want to see. I just want to look at him and save him. He is so silly. He thinks I, I, I need saving. Ha, 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 ha. Silly Pillsbury Doughboy, and I just want to hurt, make them bleed. Tracy and Jeremy hurt. They hurt everyone. Their love is poison, and we are the flowers. They try to kill. Kill with their love. The garden is not safe. Was never safe. The flowers are dying, and here comes the geese. All day long. It keeps going. Uh, This is the last one. I will. Uh, Ten eyes in a row. And you won't be lonesome and you won't be cold, but you'll be dead like mommy, dead like daddy, dead, 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 round and round all the day long. The end. That's how it ends? That's the end. That's how she talks through the whole thing? Yeah, that's why I skipped those sections. I don't blame you for skipping those sections. 
So me, myself, and I, drawn like it's supposedly Laurie Foster. Laurie Foster was the Christmas sex book. This is nothing like Laurie Foster. Laurie Foster says on the back, awesomely original, fast-paced, and fun with characters you'll never forget. This most certainly was not fun. It was yeah. gross. There's multiple murder scenes in them with like blood and guts everywhere with people impaled on spikes so that they stand in the perfect position. I was hoping this would be dumb and fun and silly. bad. I'm sorry. Mental illness is not a thing that makes no. people like crazy. And I know that sounds stupid, but it's like, no, you're, you're mentally ill. Get some help. Don't. You're not a murderer. Stigmas well, are great. That's a bummer. Stigmatas are great. So speaking of Laurie Foster, speaking of Christmas books, you read On Strike for Christmas. I did. I may say why I got you this one. Yes. Once again, I was a little bit desperate because I, I need to find something different. And I'm sure the listeners are going to love the sound of flapping pages. <laughs> um, but I was very happy about this one because it seems at Christmas time, it seems as though a woman's work is never done. Trimming the tree, mailing the cards, schlepping to the mall, wrapping gifts. Bah humbug. So this year... Joy and Laura and the rest of their knitting group, knitting group, great, mm-hmm. decide to go on strike. If their husbands and families want a nice holiday filled with parties, decorations, and presents, well, they'll just have to do it themselves. This boycott soon takes a life out of its own when a porter picks up the story and more women join in. But as Christmas Day approaches, Joy, Laura, and their husbands confront larger issues in their marriage and discover that a little holiday magic is exactly what they need to come together. So I was thinking this would be fun mm-hmm. as like a... Ladies doing it for themselves. Yeah. What's is it Agrippa? What's the uh, uh, Greek play about women withholding sex to stop the war? Oh. Oh shoot! Listeners, um, text or Twitter in at Bibliovile. Michelle will know. Maybe yeah. So Michelle, Twitter into our Bibliovile uh, t- Twitter account. What's that Greek play wherein the uh, ladies withhold the sex to stop the war? Except I uh, was kind of hoping this would get like, I'm a f- I'm a feminist. And then you read it and you're like, I don't, I don't think you are. That's exactly how it goes. Yeah. <laughs> Good. So when, when you were talking about your book, one of the questions that I kept asking myself was, how did this get published? Um, because like, who wants to read that? And this book is dumb fluff, but it makes sense to me that I got published because I think that there yeah, is a, a market room. for dumb fluff. There's room for dumb fluff. And especially like you, sometimes you just, I think it's like a, it's like a, a dumb but enjoyable Christmas movie. Like sometimes you are just in the mood for a Hallmark Christmas movie. So what you're saying this is, is the Hallmark Christmas movie of books. The Hallmark Christmas book. Yeah. Um. So what you're saying is sometimes when you have the flu, you download objectively bad books to read while you're in bed. Okay. Um, are you ever going to let me live down the fact that I have read everything that Leslie Langtree has ever written? No, because uh, you picked that for Bibliovile for me. <laughs> um. So this book follows... The women of a town called Holly. Oh my goodness gracious. One woman's name is Laura and the other woman's name is Joy. Ugh. And we start... And they've got 10 in bombs. We... F- <laughs> not 9, not 11, but 10 in bombs. We focus mostly on Joy and Laura. So Laura's husband... Um, Laura's husband's name is Glenn. And Glenn is a is a, a big party animal. He's very social. He always is inviting a bunch of people over and not telling her until last minute. Um, and just like always wants their house to be like the social center of town and doesn't really help her much with these social events that she plans and gets very frustrated, especially He's around the, the booking agent. Then Joy 
is like super, super social and like has a really big family and they're all kind of crazy. And her husband is a little bit quieter and he's a little bit more antisocial and he never wants to come. They always leave parties early. Okay. He never wants to do anything. Are they going to swingers, key party, wife swap, life swap? No, I did think they were going to go there for a brief moment, but they didn't. That would have been fun. Old people swinging. They also, these two women are part of a knitting club called the Stitchin' Bitchers. Wow. Uh-huh. Heavy that's heavier language actually not really, but heavier language than Cadence would use. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, so they Laura, after Thanksgiving, Laura and Joy are both so mad at their respective husbands. Does Amy Polar voice Joy in this one too? <laughs> in my mind a little bit, maybe. Um but Laura is really mad because Glenn has thrown this huge party, has not helped her at all, and she's like, I'm gonna make you responsible for this at Christmas. And then Joy says the same thing. She was like, if Bob is going to be such, she calls him Bob Humbug. Uh, like if Bob is going to be wait, such. Wait, wait. Uh, uh, okay. That joke gets used a lot. Um, she's like, if Bob is going to be such a Scrooge at Christmas time, like I'm giving up. I'm not doing anything. And so she tells him that she's going to go on strike. She mentions something about it to Laura and Laura decides that's a great idea. They talk about it at their knitting group, and some other women decide it's a great idea, too. And so now, all of a sudden, almost all of the middle-aged moms in Holly are going on strike for Christmas. And one of them decides that this would be a really fun story in their local newspaper, so she calls the paper, and the paper is running, like, a weekly segment about it. And so it becomes this whole big thing. And so... They're like, they're not doing anything for the holidays. They're putting their their husbands in charge of everything. So it becomes this big thing of like, oh no, the wives are like, I want you to understand all the work that I put in and I want you to like be a part of making the holidays special for our family. Mm -hmm. And the husbands on the flip side are like, A, I bet we can do everything that you do and not complain about it. And B, some of the stuff we don't even want. Like, you just make the holidays, like, too chaotic. So, like, we're going to scale down. And so, like, some of the little, like, some of the scenes are actually, like, pretty funny. Um, Laura writes up a big list of all the things that she does around the holidays for Glenn. And so, like, one of them is, like, taking the kids to get their Christmas clothes and then taking them to get their picture taken with Santa. Like, their picture clothes for the Christmas card. Oh. Um, I thought every year they got a special sweater. No. Like, Go get, like, cute clothes and Christmas colors, put them on the kids, take them to see Santa, and then t- get a picture taken. And, and that's I'm sure he's just, like, Christmas cards. like, black and white infomercial, like, ooh, ooh there's got to be a better way. And he's, like, he's, and one thing that I did like about it, would, is that it was not painted as though he was totally hopeless with the kids. Like, okay. he is a good dad and understands how to, like, dad, dad, how to be a dad. And so there wasn't any of that, which I really liked. Um, but it was really funny of, like, trying to, like, he he doesn't really know how to, like, find them cute Christmas clothes. Like, he doesn't have a good concept of, like, what she wants in this Christmas card. So he winds up getting them, like, her. matching footy pajamas. But he forgot to pack, um, he forgot to pack enough extra diapers in the diaper bag. And it had been a rough morning for their toddler. And so, like, toddler pooped his pants right as they were at, like, the front of the line to see Santa, and so, like, Santa's got, a, like, a stinky face because the toddler smells really bad, and the kids are both crying, and, like, some of that stuff like was pretty funny. always happens at Santa, because taking your kids to see Santa... It's terrible. ...is a dumb idea. Yeah, it's terrible. Um, 
But so there was some stuff, like then his daughter was in two Christmas, little Christmas concerts, one at school and one at church. And she had two different costumes. She was a tree at one and an angel at the other. So she had to sit on top of herself? He brought the wrong costume. And so she was wearing her angel costume when she was supposed to be a tree. (laughs) And then like he invites all these people over and he's like, oh, we're having all these people over. I better get like a couple bags of chips and a case of beer. And they run out of food, like, immediately. I do not think a man would struggle with how much beer do I need for people. No, it was mostly the, like, they ran out of food right away. Oh, then that's just bad fiction. Yeah. Um, so, like, some of this stuff was fairly inconsequential. Um, one thing that was kind of nice was that they had a woman who, not nice, but, like, interesting. So there was a woman in the story who was also in the knitting group who disapproved of the strike, um, because she really wanted them to focus on, like, you know, if you have these frustrations with your husbands, I think that you should talk to your husbands and, like, find a different way other than this, like, highly publicized, very silly strike. And this woman had lost her husband two years ago, and so she was still having a really hard time. Like, oh, I she wish had I lost could have her Christmas. husband. Yeah, she's like, um, but. So she it, does not approve of the Lysistratic strike? It's oh, Lysistra. did you look it up? Like, Ly- Lysistrata. 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 I didn't. I do not think I ever would have pulled that one. I don't think I would have either. Um. What did I say? Agrippa. Agrippa. That's a person. I think so. Um, but that's yeah. That's Latin, not Greek. Another scene. He was that a I, man. Whoops. Though another scene that I really liked was that Bob Humbug. Uh, one of the things that Joy tells him that he needs to do. Uh, she always makes bonbons with her. More like babas. Her grown daughter, and so she's like, "Okay, Bob, you're in charge of that this year." And they like actually have a really nice time, and it's like a way for him to reconnect with their daughter, who's like old and out of older and out of the house. It's so, like there were some nice things in it. Um, but this book was really into traditional gender roles. Let me give you some specifics. So at one point, one of the women in their knitting group is upset because she always winds up having to do all of the shopping for her stepkids. And she's like, their dad should do it. Like, I'm not their mom. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm happy to do some of it, but not all of it. And blah, blah, blah. Um, Laura gave a snort of disgust. How sick is that? She says she's going to not shop for the presents and we're shocked. Jack should get his own kid's presents. Why should Kay have to do it? And Jerry argues, because she's the mom, the heart of the family, the designated love giver and holiday maker. Okay. Is that portrayed as like the right answer? Yeah. Gross. Yeah. I Um, mean, the dad is, the dad can't love. No, dads can't love. He's got a wiener. Dads aren't good at holidays. Not at, not all dads have wieners, I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. Um, then at, so like once the story comes out in, once the story comes out in the paper, the next morning they're at church and all the men at church are giving Glenn a hard time about, because he and his wife were featured in the article. One of them says, hey, how's the cookie baking going, Mrs. Claus? That's real funny, Glenn said with a frown. Does that article have something to do with you weirding out over the lighted village yesterday? Because they were all over at his house watching a football game and he was being like protective over them not knocking over his decorations. Then they say, whoa, what are you asking for for this Christmas? A new vacuum? Like He gets mad and says, 1958 called. One more word and you're black and blue for Christmas. Got it? And his friend says, hey, pal, take some Midol. Like, 
All of this is just super lame. That is not as bad as I thought it was going to be. No, but it's still pretty lame. Yeah. Um, then they're talking about... Oh, they use, they use the phrase whipped a lot. Like, Glenn can't help it if he's whipped. Um, uh, but Glenn says, when they came down to it, they were all whipped. Women just had a way of taking a guy's life and turning it upside down. Just like a bunch of lame Ugh, stuff like the, that. The ornament and chain. Am I right, fellas? Really, <laughs> really laying down my bows. Yeah, yeah. My bows with my bros. So the guys find uh, some escape in Hank's hardware in the middle of town. Ugh. Hank sat squarely Ugh. in the middle of town. A good, strong dose of testosterone to balance the kitchen shops, women's clothing boutiques, toy stores, and other female-friendly stores that dominated downtown Holly. Hank didn't bother to cater. Hank didn't bother to cater to women. Shoppers would find no wind chimes, no picnic doodads, no cutesy gardening utensils, or little stone frogs for the front yard in his place. The few small appliances he stocked were cool guy toys, like the George Foreman Lean Mean Grilling Machine. Yeah, that's what that's what <laughs> men love, cutting fat out of their diets. Hanks was man land, packed full of saws and hammers and nails. And this neat sandalwood mm. pine. Wheelbarrows, levels, screwdrivers, bits, and anything else a man would So you would can make want, a dresser. Including male conversation. His only concession to the holidays was a limited selection of outdoor lights. No garlands or tinsel or lighted villages. In short, nothing to tempt the women of Holly to invade his territory. Was like, he an incel? Was he got red-pilled? Oh no. It's just like a bunch of lame stuff like that. But yeah, so like all in all, this like this book wasn't particularly bad. There was just like a bunch of really gender role specific kind of stuff that was lame but like it was like like i i get why a certain demographic would enjoy you mean gender rolled no well yeah yeah. (laughs) but like i agreed with the one woman who was like if you're so frustrated about these things talk to your husbands yeah like why don't you just talk to your husbands about it and, like, some of the stuff, I'm like, these people do not have good marriages. Yeah. Like, I think it was supposed to be kind of thing where it was like, oh, oh. They, they're actually great marriages. They just had to realize, like, no, like, these people actually don't communicate with each other at You're all. Not giving the two-thirds you need to give. So, I don't gotta know. Get, both people got to give two-thirds. two-thirds. Yeah. Um, What I really love from hearing this is that it was like, Men, you're going to take over the Christmas. And by take over the Christmas, I mean I'm going to make you an exhaustive list and you are going to have to do every single one of those things. And I will not let you put a single spin on Christmas because I'm a woman and therefore a control freak. Like, how about we try Christmas low key if the the guy wants it that way? Like, I am not particularly into holiday celebrations. If you want to take a break from them, that good. Like, good for you. Take a break. Put your feet up. And then we just won't do some of the parts that yeah. we don't do. <laughs> like, Or, like, then it was also, like, especially but for the... But then there's no bonbons. For the woman whose husband was super uninterested in all of it. She was, like, she was talking about how she finds it all so exhausting and all this stuff. I'm, like, then don't do it. Like, who's who's Were you making doing it you? for? Yeah. yeah. Like, I put up a Christmas tree every year because I love putting up my Christmas tree because I like my ornaments. I don't help you. No. And I don't think you expect or ask me to. No. Like, I like having my tree up, and so I put it up. I don't do Christmas cookies at all. 
It's we usually no sweets December. Do a whole lot of decorating other Thank than God, the tree. No, I, I, if it were up to me, we would hang the exact same stuff throughout the entire year. I like my tree though. Oh yeah, and you also hung Christmas Christmas lights, lights. like one strand of Christmas lights. My stocking because yours is MIA, and then our little Christmas tree, and it makes and it makes me very happy. And that's what we do. And then like we go spend time with our families, and that's about it. If it were up to me, we would go spend time with our families. I love that part, and we'd go on a fancy Christmas date. Yep, and and I give each other really awesome but kind of boring gifts way ahead of time because we don't like keeping secrets. Which is exactly what we do, except I add in a tree. And I understand that that is entirely for me. Uh, um, in case you guys didn't know this, Susan got me a desk chair for Christmas, and I absolutely love it. Uh, and she got it for me on December 9th, 9th <laughs> and said, I'm going to tell you what you're getting for Christmas. And the funny thing is, is I was like, okay, that's fair, because I've already told you what you're getting for Christmas. I knew what I was getting for Christmas before Thanksgiving. I, I wanted to make sure before yeah, I dropped it. Yeah, and I Hondo. love it. Okay, good. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so like we we figure out what works for us for the holidays so that neither of us is overwhelmed and neither of us is doing things that we don't enjoy and don't want to do. Yeah. But like throughout this whole book, I was kind of like, just talk to your husband. Why aren't you just talking to him? Yeah. And it like, I, it was supposed, you're supposed to think that it ended well. It, in, in general, it's like, I'm so overwhelmed for Christmas. In order to get you to understand why I'm so overwhelmed for Christmas, I'm going to overwhelm you for mm-hmm. Christmas. What should be like, I'm so over under, I am so overwhelmed for Christmas. Could you help me? Mm-hmm. Or I'm so overwhelmed for Christmas. Maybe I should do less. Yeah. Those would or be like the, the two some lessons. Some combination of like, let's sit down and figure out what are our priorities? What can we cut? What can you do? Yeah. Like, I don't know. Um, it, I think it was supposed to end happy because it ends they're all having a New Year's Eve party. And so they're talking about the oh, strike. Right. And Glenn is talking about uh, the worst was the frozen turkey, Glenn said, and then proceeded to describe the finishing touch to his disaster dinner. By the time he was done, Bob and Joy's other party guests were nearly in hysterics. I don't want to be a woman for Christmas ever again, he included. He concluded. Well, you know, gender's fluid. Yeah, you won't have to be, Laura assured him, patting his leg. Just a helpful husband. Like, you, why, why do we have to call it being a woman for Christmas? Why can't you just say, like, I didn't like being in charge of all the Christmas things? I don't know. Like, it was fine and fluffy, but it was mostly kind of lame and, yeah. That was it. Um, like one interesting thing that did happen is that all of the men ordered all the Christmas gifts off of a website called youshoptillidrop.com. Is it a hooker? Which was supposed to be this thing where like you put in information about like the things that you're interested in, your family likes, and then they do the shopping for you. But it was two days before Christmas and none of their gifts had showed up yet. And so they kept calling and calling, and then they went back to the website, and it was gone. And so it was like this big fraud scandal. So they had all been defrauded. Duped. Yeah, they'd all been duped. Well, they can get that money back easily. That's why you shop on Amazon, you know, so you can get those warehouse people to not get bathroom breaks. I feel terrible, but I'm not going to stop. Yeah. Good thing they've got gardens. Seize the means of production. Um, I think that is going to do it for us tonight with that fantastic ending uh for bibliovile um sue and i sue we've we've been talking and thinking and squawking um we we need to switch up here mm. in in a couple of different ways because it takes me about 
three times as a, as long as it used to to find you a book because frankly i i think we've just about covered most of it and i think not that we've covered every bad book but i think we've covered most of the bad the type book of genres book. Yeah, the types of bad books we've we've really done a lot of shifter books we've a done a lot of romance yep, by the sea bad romances we have not yet done a lot of christmas sex books where that's still that's still uh number one with a bullet i know that's pretty great a lot of murder mysteries that a lot are of very murder good. mysteries especially ones that involve knitting clubs yeah. a lot of books Councils. where women have very specific small businesses a lot of councils super urban supernatural yep um a lot of weird sci-fi e kind of things. Yeah. So this is going to be episode forty something. Uh, and so uh, uh, we we've been at it for nearly two and a two half and years, years now. Um, so if you have any ideas how we could switch it up, we are all ears. You can uh, tweet at us at our bibliovile at bibliovile. Be well, you're listening to this. Look at your iTunes uh, at bibliovile. You can let us know what you think might be good ideas. Uh, I've got a couple. Um, I've got a book back there that uh, it might be next week's, and then the week after that, I'm thinking maybe something a little bit steamier. That's going to be your hint, something steamier. Uh-oh. Uh oh. Are you thinking steampunk or are you thinking erotica? I don't know. Or steampunk erotica. Steampunk erotica. That's what I just said. Okay. Um, but we're still trying to figure some stuff out. We have switched up pretty majorly. With a surprise project that might be coming out uh, at some point. I don't know when it's coming out, frankly, because it's a lot of work. But uh, if you have any ideas where we could go from here, uh, we would love to hear it. Uh, We still have fun doing this. Uh, Mick doesn't have so much fun reading the books, but he has a lot of fun recording the podcast. So we don't want to stop. I don't want to put that fear god into you guys. I know both of you would be very dismayed. But what do we... What do we do? What do we do? Yeah. How do we change it up? How do we, you know, maybe, new, oh, we could go format? on vacation or we could like role play a little bit. Oh. <laughs> Get some lingerie. <laughs> oh, I, oh, okay. <laughs> anyway. Invite some friends over. Think on that. Tweet at Bibliovile. Tweet at Bibliovile. That's, uh, Bibliovile is our Twitter account for this podcast, but my Twitter account, you can find me at Dikima. D-I-C-K-I-M-A-A. I am Susan J. That's S with three U's. S-A-N-J. And the intro music to our podcast is Babe of the Night by the band Elixir off of their album Rampant. Yeah. Um, go ahead and like and retweet and subscribe and r- rate us. There's a stranger who r- rated us once. It was pretty sweet. Uh, so be that, be that stranger. Be that stranger. But not that stranger. A different, a good kind of stranger. Mm-hmm. Sit on your left hand. I love you. <laughs>